we had another aircraft that was flying, and this one was um, one that sort of gave us a little bit of a start. It uh, it was flying, and they had what's called a chip light. So it, it basically means that some of the components are are chipping off metal into the oil line, and then and then it sets off a light saying you need to set this aircraft down and check it out. Our system didn't say anything, and we were we were concerned. We were like, why why didn't we see, why didn't we see anything? And so we you know double checked the data, and we went back and we said, no, it doesn't look like there's anything that's at issue. And they took the the um, the components off the aircraft and had a third party go look at them, and they came back and said, no, there there was nothing wrong with this. So again, validating us. Um, an operator goes through that once, and then they have then they have that extra confidence um, to uh, to really depend on it. So. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today, we sit down with Jed Kostein, president and CFO of VSET portfolio company GPMS International, whose hardware and software keeps high-value aircraft and industrial engines operating safely and reliably. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber. And Dave Bradbury. Recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Hi, Jed. Hey there. It's good to see you. You too. It's been a while. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, we can't seem to keep you out of this place, so, you know, we we'll <laughs> hey, open the door okay. today. You know, Jed and his, his partners first walked in the VSET eight years ago. That would have been 14, probably, 2014. 2014, yeah. Um, wow. An overnight story. Let's, let's get into <laughs> it. Let's get into it. <laughs> awesome. All right, Jed, what is GPMS and why does it matter? Yeah, we're a, a new generation of predictive maintenance solutions um, for high-value rotating equipment. So we're on uh, helicopters primarily, but also on EV tolls, the electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft that are being developed now. And uh, we just last year did a demonstration on the Humvee for the Army um, and are looking this year at doing another another demonstration for the Army on potentially a surface vessel, a ship, which would be really fun. Whoa, okay. Yeah. this. Okay, why do I care about predictive maintenance? Seems like important shit here. Yeah. You, I already swore. We're like 30 seconds in. It's <laughs> the afternoon. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the giggles are yeah. Um, We care because if if we know when something is going to uh, need to need to be replaced, then we can plan the, the downtime. So it's really about moving unscheduled maintenance into scheduled maintenance. So... If you, if you look at a helicopter, the typical helicopter is, has somewhere between 15 and 38% of its maintenance is unscheduled maintenance. So that's in the equivalent of your car. Um, when you go and bring your car in for an oil change, that's scheduled maintenance. When you're driving around and your wheel bearing starts to fail, that's unscheduled maintenance. And so what you really want to be able to do is pull that wheel bearing replacement into the oil change uh, window. And that makes sure that between oil changes you're continuing to be able to operate your vehicle. So when you're talking about helicopters, um, things like that can can lead to very bad days um, and certainly lead to downtime that costs a lot of money. God, he's able to dummy-proof that so well. Literally just raised our intelligence, right? Yeah. Because it, it's, it's not an easy topic to get into, but it, it's really stinking important. Yeah. Like, like, is there any business case of why I would not want this system on my... My, my helicopter, my Humvee, my windmill, my, my nuclear pump. Like, not, There's no reason for any of those examples. Um, the, the 
issue becomes if you're if you're talking about having this kind of technology on on something that is low value, a thousand dollar motor, it doesn't make sense to equip it with with something like us. So uh, it's got to be high value where the cost of downtime is is very expensive or or the consequence of downtime, as with something that flies, is very dramatic. Yeah, we're talking like risk of life or, or yeah, something yeah. like that. So. Uh, the product's called Foresight MX, hardware, software. Could you just tell us a little bit, and again, use little words, <laughs> <laughs> little words and maybe graphics with your hands yeah. for us. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm giving you a sign with my hand right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the bird. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's the, the hardware is, is uh, primarily vibration sensors. So, you're looking at the vibration of, of something that's rotating. So on a transmission of, of, if we were doing it on a car, for instance, a transmission would have one sensor on it, and that sensor is monitoring the shaking. And with the algorithms that we have, the, the, the math that's done on those sensors, we can parse out all of the gears, shafts, and bearings in that, um, in that, uh, that transmission. So we can tell you that it's this bearing that needs to be replaced. And then we can further tell you that that bearing is going to need to be replaced in 100, uh, 150 operating hours, which for a helicopter is anywhere from one to four months. So that gives them plenty of time to plan their logistics, to get, um, to get parts on order, to you know, schedule it into a normal maintenance window uh, and perform that when it's safe and easy to do. Um, the software side of it, uh, once the aircraft comes back from an operation, our system recognizes that automatically offloads the data uh, through a cellular network to the cloud. And then users can access the information on any browser-enabled device. So they're looking at their, at their phones or their laptops or, or whatever to be able to look at the data. And then it's showing them really clearly with stoplight simplicity. You know, it'll show a picture of a bearing and it'll show that it's red or it'll show that it's yellow. And, and that tells them that they need to focus it's on It's sort of like Steve Jobs decided to design an information system for a helicopter. I mean, it's really cool, yeah. um, the leap in technology. So, uh, okay, so we're, we're, we're grounded now. I Sam. have a little bit more clearer picture here for me. So first thing that comes to mind is like, that is super valuable data, obviously, for your users. But is there any other applications for the data that you all are collecting? Yeah, so um, certainly uh, the manufacturers are interested in the data because they can look at reliability. They can look at how aircraft are being flown. Um, they can improve their customer support for their for their customers. Um, the maintainers are often, as with your cars, it's, mm -hmm. it's the maintenance is often done by a third party. And so it provides the ability for that third party to have a really clear insight into what's going on on the helicopter that they're helping to maintain. So now when, um, when one of their customers has a maintenance event coming up in the normal maintenance window, those, those guys can go to them and say, you, we also need to do X, Y, and Z as part of this maintenance window. And so it really adds to their ability to provide a much higher, more reliable service to their customers as well. Wow. That's very cool. Um, who are your customers? Who's using this? So we have uh, commercial customers. We have uh, government customers, military customers. Um, we uh, some of the the ones that you would recognize Duke Energy um, in the Mid Atlantic is a utility that's flying with they they started with with a, our system on one helicopter and then they rolled it out to the rest of their fleet 
they do power line inspections and that kind of work. And uh, so it's really their helicopters are flying a lot and it's, it's important that they have that uptime. So that's an example. Um, on the government side, the Tennessee Valley Authority is flying with, with our system on all of their aircraft. Uh, and then the commercial customers you probably wouldn't recognize, but uh, but they're uh, they're large fleets and and small fleets. So. And they're doing things like like tourism or or fire protection or you know. Yeah, there's a lot of fire oil and gas, perhaps, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of firefighting. In fact, the the U.S. Forest Service, which contracts with most of the firefighting uh, helicopters, is starting to require this as part of some some portion of the of the helicopters that they contract with so that's a really good bellwether for our industry um, but then there's law enforcement um, we have some law enforcement customers there's uh, obviously the military there's air medical is another huge category we don't have any air medical customers yet but uh, but that's that's uh, around the corner um, so yeah, yeah. I would imagine the firefighting too. I mean, it used to just be a you know four or five month window, but it's probably eight or nine months now. They have to operate right, given the climate changes and yeah. So utilization and safety have got to be paramount. Yeah, feels like probably pretty long sales cycles. Is that the case? It can be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with with the Tennessee Valley Authority, they had had an experience with with uh, a, another technology that didn't work out, and so when we met them, we were actually referred to them by the team at Duke Energy. Oh, great! And uh, and they, I think they they essentially made the decision to go with our system on their whole fleet in one phone call. So that oh, was wow. quite different. But um, but mostly it takes a long time. And and helicopter operators, really anybody in aviation, aren't known for uh, embracing early technology. So. Um, so they want to see it work. There have been lots of people in the predictive maintenance space in general, certainly on the industrial side, that have made some pretty big claims that haven't, that haven't panned out. And so um, often they'll come to us with a fair amount of skepticism, and then they put it on one aircraft uh, and test it for a while, and then they'll roll it out to the rest of their fleet. And that's been our experience so far. So we're we're excited to to have new customers just put their toe in the water on one on one aircraft because it almost always turns into subsequent um, you know rollout. That's awesome. That's so great. All right, Jed. Let's just step back here. Um, tell us about you. Yeah, okay. who is this guy? Who, who was young Jed, and and why was <laughs> finance and operations and technology the calling? Yeah, so um, I, I've had kind of many different walks of life, and over the years, I uh, I started I started off actually um, in uh, in government. I was I was a political appointee at the Justice Department in the in the uh, in the nineties, and then I went back to business school and was interested in in economic development. Um, and uh, after business school, went to work at a venture capital organization, which was. Um, somewhat different. It wasn't a traditional venture capital fund. It was affiliated with the state of Connecticut, and they had a, a dual mission of building companies and, and also building high-wage, high-value jobs in the state. And, um, and so that was, that was really interesting, got, got our fingers on a whole bunch of companies. Um, and, um, but then as a venture capitalist, I was going to board meetings and listening to companies talk and for some strange reason, the other side of the table seemed more exciting than the one I was on. And all of my entrepreneur friends said to me that I was insane um, 
that uh, that the golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules. So it's a lot easier to to have an impact on on the finance side of the of the table. But um, I didn't listen, and I and I jumped into the, my first company, which was an IT security business. Um, we, perimeter. I was perimeter. Yeah, um, we built that, uh, um, and then. Um, ended up recapitalizing the business. The business sold a few years later, big successful sale to BAE Systems. And um, and then I started coming to Vermont. And uh, I mean, I've been uh, coming to Vermont to ski since I was since I was a kid. But um, but I met people like you, David, and 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 they convinced me that there was something I could I could do here in the state. So I got uh, introduced. We saw potential in you, Jed. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, so I got introduced to, to a bunch of companies and, um, and I was really looking for one that I could kind of sink my teeth into and um, helped a, a bunch of companies raise capital. And, um, and ultimately, David actually introduced me to, to GPMS, uh, to the team there. And I just loved what- That was after the cyber company with Pony that we tried to help get going. And and also, Jed, too, I want to acknowledge your volunteer time in helping VSAT and the creation of the Vermont Seed Capital Fund, right? You, you, that Connecticut yeah. experience was so yeah. valuable, and the skills you brought really were monumental and giving us the, the courage to take the risk, I think, and to put money in and, and to get other money, and, and away we go. Now, yeah. 32 companies later, this little fund is, is, is making it happen. So well, I can take very little credit for that. Uh, you guys have have really done a great job. So, yeah. Oh, stop! Uh, <laughs> thank you. But it, no, it. But it, it again. I, I think the the experience with GPMS, right? Because uh, the two co-founders describe the other two co-founders for us. Yeah, Jack and Eric, Jack Taylor and Eric Beckhoff are both brilliant engineers. Um, Jack is on the software side. Eric is system engineer. So he. Uh, really, they, they are scary brilliant. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, how do you how do you deal with that? They're both super approachable. I mean, I, yeah. I've had I've worked with lots of entrepreneurs, um, particularly on the engineering side, who are so deep in the engineering that it's really hard for them to communicate to to you know people like me who need a sandbox description <laughs> of of things. But both of them are 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 patient. They have humor, and um, and they one of the things that really distinguished Eric to me was that he was very clear on what he was good at and what he wasn't good at. And, and I think when you first introduced me to them, um, they, the, the sort of premise was that, that they were brilliant engineers, but it was going to be hard for them to figure out how to build a business unless they brought someone in that could help. And, and Eric was, was incredibly open with that. And, um, and so the partnership has really been a, a successful one so far. That's great. That's good to hear. It's a strong team is everything, right? And um, yeah, I always admire folks that are, you know, just deep, deep, deep experts in their field and like can pick their heads up and say, listen, we need help. We need someone that knows how to build a business. And particularly a business where, you know, those two had come from larger corporate backgrounds with the idea of raising outside money was probably something they didn't have visibility into, right? So, um, and, and you brought that, to the table here. Yeah, and I was I was able to to sort of uh, do ta- small slices of time with with Eric and Jack. I had another software company in Connecticut that I was that I was working on at the same time. Um, 
it started to get to the point where I couldn't do both. Um, and so actually last year we sold the, the company in Connecticut as well, another great exit um, to a strategic buyer. And You're so and, fucking humble. I love it. <laughs> oh, another great exit, right? I, I, and then I, I was able to really focus in on GPMS. So this, the, the last year has been, has been really great. And actually early this year, we, we were finally able to recruit some additional talent, some, some folks who have really helped to move, move the bar up. Um, first, we, we brought in a new head of marketing who was the, the former head of commercial marketing at Bell Helicopter. Um, so being able to lure him away was, was, uh, was great. And he really sees the, the promise of this in the helicopter industry. And then um, later in the year, in, in May, we brought on a new head of sales uh, who was has been with Airbus for 18 years and was a chief pilot of a number of big, big helicopter operators. And, um, he was Airbus's number one salesman. So, uh, bringing him on board as well, really raised our profile in the industry and, and has really helped to make people take a second look at us because as I said, this is not an industry where people make decisions, um, willy nilly. They, they really want to know that they're in, that they're investing in something that is going to be able to del- deliver the kind of promise that we talk about. It's high trust, right? And I yeah. think that's a big piece of it. So that's one thing that I did want to ask you about is like, how do you test this technology really early on? And like, do you have any partners in that space or how do you, how does that work? Um, so, you know, there's there are data sets where you can take you can take uh, gearbox information. Like you you'll have a, a gearbox that you know went bad, and you have data on that from various. NASA has data sets that you can run this stuff on. So you can you can run your algorithms against that to see that it that it actually sees the faults that are that are there. Um, we did uh, back in 2015. We did a demonstration with one of the one of the top helicopter uh, manufacturers where they brought out a gearbox. We attached our system to the gearbox. They, uh, we ran it to get a baseline and just to know that the system was, was on basically. And then they wheeled it away and they, they uh, it put some, some bad components in it. And they did this a couple of different times to see if we would catch them. Um, and one of the times they, they came back and we ran it and we said, oh, it looks like you have two bad bearings. And they said, nope, we only put one bad bearing in. And we were, we had a moment there where it was like, oh boy, did we, did we miss, you know, misjudge it. And Eric, our, our founder was like, there's two bad bearings. I, I promise you there are two bad bearings. So they wheeled the gearbox back into the darkness um, out of the room and they, uh, and they came back a few minutes later and they said, oh, you were right. We accidentally pulled from the wrong box. Oh my God. Oops. So that was pretty cool. This is exactly what I was hoping to hear when I asked that question. That's so cool. Yeah. And then we've, you know, we've had um, plenty of operators who have been flying. We had an operator that bought a brand new aircraft and was flying that aircraft for about 25 hours. And our system started to, to say one of the bearings was, was not good. And, um, and it still said that they had plenty of time. So we said, this is not something to do anything about now. Let's watch it and see how it progresses. Because sometimes, you know, you'll have early engine break in and it's just normal. Um, but uh, over time, the fault continued to propagate. And we were able to say you have 120 hours of remaining useful life on that. And sure enough, you know, they used that time to, to plan how they were going to do that engine replacement and 
who was going to pay what to whom and you know how, how all that was going to play out. And they um, it, it turned what could be a very dramatic, scary incident into something that was boring. And we like boring. So yeah. um, they used that and they pulled that that part out and it was very clearly um, damaged at that point And there was just no question about it. So wow. we've seen anecdotal examples like that as well, which um, helped to increase our customers' confidence that that what we have, you know, works and, and does what we say it's going to do. Wow. Yeah, it's not easy to spend money on preventative stuff, but like one issue and like you're just so glad you did. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that in that case, that, that engine is probably a $750,000 engine. So um, it's it's a huge expense. Of what, we, we've had other, it's, other situations. We had another aircraft that was flying, and this one was um, one that sort of gave us a little bit of a start. It, uh, it was flying, and they had what's called a chip light. So it it uh, it basically means that some of the components are are chipping off metal into the oil line, and then and then it sets off a light light in the cockpit saying you need to set this aircraft down and check it out. Our system didn't say anything, and we were we were concerned. We were like, why why didn't we see, why didn't we see anything? And so we you know double checked the data, and we went back and we said, no, it doesn't look like there's anything that's that's a, you know at issue. So that gave them the confidence. They, they have to go through certain steps that the, that the manufacturer requires anyway um, while they're in, in the field. And um, so they did those, and then they had the confidence to fly the aircraft back to their base. And they took the, the, um, the components off the aircraft and had a third party go look at them, and they came back and said, no, there, there was nothing wrong with this. So, again, validating us. Hmm. Um, that there was nothing wrong, and that From was the opposite a, standpoint. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's um, you know, an operator goes through that once, and then they have then they have that extra confidence um, to uh, to really depend on it. So that's great. So, given the number of years and the people, the engineers, the talent you have, and sort of the time to customer, um, how's the company fanced this along the way? Yeah. So the first um, the first. First, we we actually did some engineering services work. Um, that's a, a tried and true way to fund the business while you're trying to figure out, you know, how you're going to build um, build the product. Um, <clears throat> so we did that, and then we uh, and then we started raising some angel money, and we we uh, we were able to to raise capital from a bunch of angels. And there's one in particular who who was who's been great and been with the company uh, almost since the beginning. Um, more recently, we did uh, two two uh, rounds of, of institutional funding, um, and uh, and so we brought in uh, Diamond Stream Partners in the beginning of of uh, 2021, and then Hearst Ventures uh, connected to the Hearst company uh, in December of 2021. So, so one thing I want to ask you about is you know we talked to a lot of companies about when they're fundraising, whether to get investors that are like specific to your industry. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you've approached that? Yeah. So, uh, most of our, I mean, we have the proverbial friends and family who don't really know much about the industry. Um, and so they've, they've put some in, but, um, our, the, the large angel investor that, that invested doesn't he he hadn't invested in in or hadn't built companies in this particular space but he has been in in aerospace and he's been a very successful entrepreneur so he he knew um, enough about the industry and he was a very technical guy so he met he met Eric and and uh, I think they were really uh, 
they resonated with each other and that was really what drove him. He said, you know, this, this guy really, he'll figure something out. And so that was kind of the, the investment thesis, I think. Um, the, the institutional investors, um, so Diamondstream is, is primarily a, a, an aviation investor. Uh, they're not as big in the helicopter space, but they're very interested in how aviation is changing, and they're and and they like uh, picks and shovels technology, you know, enabling technology, and so that was what what really fed their their interest, and they've been great. Uh, Hearst also has been great. Hearst is is uh, they they have a toe in the water on the aviation side, not on the hardware side, but. Uh, I mean, certainly Hearst has, th- through their various television stations around the country, they have um, a lot of helicopters that are flying. But um, they also own one of the, the really large uh, aviation data companies that's mm. out there. Um, and, uh, and so that's how we got introduced to Hearst. So uh, it, they are all aviation aware yeah. and, um, and certainly helpful in that regard. Yeah, yeah. that's I like the concept of being aware, right? Like you don't need to be like fully in a certain space, but just having the knowledge and seeing what else is happening in the space is certainly helpful. Yeah, and certainly in aviation, there's a whole other level of complexity that uh, before I was involved in it, I had no idea existed um, with the FAA certification requirements. And that's that's if you if you don't fully understand that then you could get uh sort of very optimistic about something that then turns out to run up against aviation uh certification requirements and that can be that can be a huge um dislocation for where you're trying to go so um being as an investor being aviation aware is is uh, pretty helpful you seem like you have a lot going on and sort of a jack of all trades in the company, but I'm just curious, what's your jam? Like, what do you get most excited about? Yeah, I love the team. I, you know, I, I, I love building the team and, and, um, and essentially getting out of the way and just trying to, trying to help them to, to do, you know, I sort of try to help them be successful and, and remove barriers for them. That's kind of how I see my role. Yeah. Um, but when when the team is tracking, that's that's the the most exciting part of it. Love it. You've assembled in this past year that the team has just step functioned higher in terms of their knowledge, their expertise, their street cred within the industry, like from certifications to sales to software to engineering and all the supports. Um, really, uh, all of those really things. really great. It took took a bit, and it's all yeah. about timing, and you're scaling it as the certifications are in place on different platforms, and then uh, really uh, pretty pleasant to see. Yeah, all of those all of those things really start making it feel like you're finally, um, pun only slightly intended, planing. You know, um, where you know you've you've come out of the out of the 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 water, and you're now really skimming along well and um but you you don't get there without having built the foundation right you can't you can't recruit people like that until the company is real and until you've been able to cross a whole bunch of hurdles and milestones and uh and so the early team is you know they're almost all of them are still with us and um and they're they're the ones who really built the foundation that that kind of gets you up to that next level and gives you the ability to just continue um, scaling and and um, 
and demonstrating capabilities. So what what's the what's the next one or two years look like for GPMS? You know, what what is it just all about sales? Are there big technical things you still need to resolve, or is it certification of different platforms, which is really kind of a fancy way of saying this helicopter version or this EV tall or this drone? Yeah. Yeah, so it's about scaling now. Um, and um, so we we have to, uh, on the manufacturing side, we have to be able to scale. Right, right now it's, we're contract manufactured, so we need to be able to scale on the manufacturing side. Um, and you have to do that, particularly in aviation, with no missteps. You know, you need to make sure that your quality is there, and and so making sure that all of those pieces are in place uh, to allow you to to continue building, uh, supporting customers. Uh, you know, this is an industry that is all based on referral, and you can't afford to have customers that are unhappy talking to other other prospective customers, and and so you know you need to to every day knock the cover off the ball. Um, and then, yeah, it's about sales. It's about continuing to, as with any early stage company, you you need to you need to grow sales and make sure that that people are understanding the value proposition and why this is important to them. And and not only from a sort of big picture, uh, you can always kind of pull the safety the safety message and talk about that. But even from an economic standpoint, why this is going to be really impactful to them. Um, so scaling that is, is really important. So that's, that's really where our future goes. And then, you know, we talked briefly about the, the other initiatives we have with ground vehicles. Um, and I think that that's really promising. Uh, you know, when a, when a truck breaks down, that's not necessarily a bad day, but when that's a truck that's carrying soldiers into, into harm's way, you want to make sure that at least from a mechanical standpoint, that truck is going to come back and not you know, break down in the field and, re- and require some kind of intervention to get those soldiers back safely. So having this kind of technology on, on those types of, of vehicles is, is, can be a, a huge plus as well. So we want to demonstrate that and, and move forward. Down so I path. think if I recall, uh, Senator Leahy and his team played a, a little role in sort of trying to bridge those uh, relationships on the on the Humvee side is that yeah yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, Senator Leahy has has been a great supporter all along um and and uh so both with the Humvee demonstration and with this year's demonstration program that that was uh Senator Leahy's team was able to make that that come together you talked a little bit at the beginning about how it has to be like high value right because it's not a cheap product by any means Mm -hmm. like in terms of ground vehicles does it have to you know does that shift the business model at all or are humvees a high enough you know sort of level that it works out yeah so you know there are markets where the the unit economics um the you know the 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 value you can get per unit is is higher and somewhere it's lower. Yeah. In aviation, partly because of all the certification requirements you have, uh, the unit economics are high. Mm. Um, but with ground vehicles, it's going to be low. But mm. in the helicopter space, there are 60,000 helicopters, commercial and, and military around the world. So it's not a big market. Mm. If you're looking at ground vehicles, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of ground vehicles that could be probably millions of ground vehicles uh, if you go outside of the military space, that could be candidates for something like this, and uh, and so while the unit economics are, are low, the the quantity is high, and um, and so you can you know there's a an attractive market there that that makes a lot of sense. And is the 
technology somewhat simplified, I imagine it's a little bit easier to monitor a ground vehicle. There are some things that are easier and some things that are harder. Okay. And, uh, and, but, but you can, you can definitely scale it down. You can say, I want to, to have visibility into, you know, just the transmission, or I want to have visibility into the transmission and the wheel bearings and the differentials. And, you know, so you can kind of, you can scale it up or down depending on how important it is to monitor something. If you're not, you know, if you don't have um, a frequent issue with some particular part of a truck that's going to fail, then you would, it wouldn't make sense to monitor that. But if you, if you really look at where that 80-20 rule is, where's the, you know, the 20% that I can invest to get 80% of the value, um, mm. then you can, you can get to something that's, that's more cost effective. That's so cool. That's really it, cool. It feels like uh, car talk, right? <laughs> Doesn't it? I love that. I love it. Um, You're the only one with the Boston accent though. So. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it comes out now and again. Um, so talk about um, Vermont, right? You've been through startups that have worked, startups that have scaled as an investor, as participant like how are you feeling about things of late what, what have you noticed well I mean I I love Vermont and um, and I I uh, moved here for a reason and it's only um, sort of gotten gotten more locked in since since then uh, I had an opportunity with one of the companies that I was helping um, to help that business scale by moving out of Vermont and it, it I, I decided not to do that um, so thank God, right, Dave? <laughs> Although I, I think you would have saved the company. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but I, uh, you know, Eric, our founder, is also very committed to Vermont. It's not, it, at least historically, it hasn't been a big aviation mecca. Although, you know, with Beta and some of the other companies that are here, it, there's certainly more of a of an aviation community than there once was. So that's really exciting. Um, I think that. There, there are certainly, um, there are certainly things that would be easier to do elsewhere. Um, you know, in terms of, I think recruiting is is a bit of a challenge here for particularly some job functions, and uh, so you have to be able to be patient and and really getting the word out and um, and, but but you know, Vermont is a is a small place, so you can find yourself getting networked to people pretty quickly. Um, so that's certainly helpful. So, you know, when I was in Connecticut, you, you, we had this sense that we too were a backwater and we always sort of looked to, um, Silicon Valley and to Boston and to New York and wished that we had the kind of money and talent and all that stuff that, that they have. So I think it's just wherever you are, you're always, you're always, um, tempted to look elsewhere. Um, but I think in Vermont, we have, uh, a really good, um, a smart workforce and um, and if you have a, a good company that has really strong prospects I think you can you can find folks um, the capital um, the capital environment in Vermont is definitely improving um, but that's been a long time coming um, so you know hopefully all of these these new things that are sort of starting to percolate out um, do happen and and um, and are able to make that world a bit easier. And, you know, honestly, I think in Vermont, because it's a small state and um, and these changes that are happening on the capital front, you know, investors have have a bit of a leg up because they know everybody. And, and you know, you, we were just talking about, you know, this other company and, and several companies that I've worked with, we've known each other for a long time. And, um, and so 
that is is uh, good when when you're looking at at entrepreneurs and trying to figure out are they really someone that we can invest in and have a good open honest productive relationship with or not um, and uh, and so I think that there's a there's a um, competitive advantage that you have in a small state like this in that in that regard I going back to when the seed fund made its small investment during the sort of the friends and families stage it was having worked with Jack and Eric for maybe a year or so, and we're like, all right, bring this guy in. The team becomes uh, so much more powerful and, and, and attractive, and, and let's, that was an easy decision, right? Because we look at team, tech, timing, and terms. I mean, that's really the four things that, that matter, right? And um, away we go. So really, really encouraging. How many people working at the company today? Uh, we have 18, I think now, um, not enough of them are here in Vermont, but, uh, but we're working on but that. But you got a brand new office down in Waterbury, right in the old, uh, Green Mountain Coffee Complex and our, yeah. our other two portfolio companies across the street, Core and Nomad. So you, are you hiring? Yeah. Yeah. What are you looking for? We, uh, have, we have a pretty big audience, so you know, <laughs> it's worth mentioning. Yeah, we're. I mean, we're always looking for for uh, um, you know technical people. Um, we're our our primary focus right now is actually on the procurement side. We're looking to find somebody to help help us uh, manage sourcing and and that kind of thing. Um, we're also looking for a manufacturing technician that that um, we'd like to bring on. And uh, and we're looking for some you know somebody on the embedded side for embedded software programming, um, and that changes often. So you know we'll we'll continue to be looking for folks. So it's it, anybody who is interested in the company should certainly reach out and um, and get on our our radar or let us get on their radar. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. I, love, I love all these terms: planning, radar. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's such a nifty company. I mean, I, I think I've heard someone say, you know, you want to invest in sectors that are inevitable when change is coming. And, mm. and the regulatory, the business cases, the safety cases for having these systems on on equipment uh, where lives are at risk and there's high value in what they do um, is uh, is trending. Right? We see Europe, Europe is starting to require it and drafting mm. rules, seeing the forest service you're talking about. So... Um, picks and side. shovels, yeah, air yeah. medical, and then, and then the EV tall market, the electric planes, and the vertical ones. Like, it, there's no scenario that I can think where those these systems won't be required. So we don't have you know two thousand pound things falling onto our backyards. I just right, it's, it seems inevitable to me. But yeah, I was at a I was at a conference earlier this week, and and one one of the guys was talking about how when. Um, when Pan Am, uh, you know, the Pan Am building had a helicopter that uh, that that crashed on the top of it, and a rotor blade went falling into the streets of New York. That pretty much shut down New York for for uh, for that kind of uh, building top to building top uh, use of helicopters. And so, as the eVTOL and these other advanced air mobility platforms are getting out there, that's very much on their minds. Um, they're they're really worried about. Um, you know, making sure that there's not a, a bad incident from any of them because any, any one of them will impact everybody else. Um, so that's a that's a big consideration, um, and particularly when you move into the uh, non-piloted categories. Um, you know, we like saying that uh, that the original systems like ours that would sense vibration and um, and 
give kind of early warnings are the pilot's backside. <laughs> and uh, and that uh, that doesn't exist when you don't have a pilot in the, in the aircraft. And um, so systems like ours are going to be absolutely necessary in those categories. Some, some of the, the eVTOL companies like Beta are thinking ahead. Um, we're actually designed into Beta's system right now. And... Um, and that's, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely sort of system thinkers. They're thinking, you know, all of the different ways that, that, uh, that things could go wrong and wanting to make sure that they're tracking on those. Some of the other op- the developers that are out there are focused more on flight dynamics and just trying to make sure that their aircraft will fly. Um, concept. Yeah, 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 yeah. So eventually we'll, we'll get there. Um, so I think, I think you're right. All paths lead through technology like ours, whether it's us or not, um, that, you know, certainly will be a barrier to certification for any of those guys um, unless they have these types of systems on board. It's a comfort. Yeah. Yeah, right? Um, Chad, any for favorite Vermont companies right now can be completely unrelated to GPMS. Just a company that you're looking at. It's going like, to, like, tell us a ski company brand or something. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to get him to snowboard for a few years. It's not going well. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, Favorite Vermont company? I mean, I think there are so many really cool companies out there. Um, I wish that I that I wasn't um, as aware about these companies. You know that that I hear from David a lot about some of your portfolio companies. Um, I'm also on the uh, the board of the Flex Capital Fund, so I see a lot of their really cool companies out there. So yeah, I just think there's a, a lot of really exciting things that are going on in the state. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just sort of like everybody else uh, strapped in here waiting to see how it all plays out. Very diplomatic answer. We'll find <laughs> out. It was. He's, he's careful. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's but, probably... You know, but it's exactly the temperament you want building an aerospace company. It's true. Right? I, you know, you don't want the swashbuckling cowboy. I should have said Lawson's and Caledonia Spirits and, you know... That's where I thought you were going. Like, <laughs> what Beverages? do I eat or put on my butt? Darn tough socks. <laughs> yeah, darn tough. Uh, all the rest, so... Um, I think we need to wrap, Sam. No. I know. It's, it's, uh, it happens. I like having Jed here. <laughs> you ask, him, ask him the final question then, okay? It would be my honor. All right, Jed. If you could change one thing in Vermont today with a magic wand, what would you change? Um, I think it would have to be on the capital side, you know, just figuring out how to get more capital into these Vermont companies. We're trying, okay? Yeah, well, step it up. <laughs> Give us a couple weeks. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll do our best. Perfect. That's good. We need a kick in the ass every once in a while, Dave. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, capital is uh, tough. Your sector's not in, always welcoming to everybody, you know, uh, but... You've got customers and an unbelievable horizon. I am like really thrilled that we play such a small little part in it, um, and a great group of investors that you've assembled. Right, it really has been a inflection point in the company. So yeah, I would I would not downplay the the fingerprints that you have on on this company. I mean, you made some absolutely critical introductions for us that uh, that have really, I mean, even on the ground vehicle side, that was your introduction that that opened up that really opened our awareness to that, uh, to that opportunity. So, um, you guys have been fantastic and, and, uh, we're really looking forward to continuing that as we roll forward here. Well, amen you to, let amen me to that. know if Dave is at some point not helpful. 
and I'll I'll take care of it. Yeah, he does need a yeah, he does helpful. need a slap every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, right? We, yeah, we all need to be trued up now and again, recalibrated. Yes, you know. Um, Jed, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and flying back from California to do this show. I really appreciate that. <laughs> this has been Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. The series is supported by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Let's get back to work. <laughs>